Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for I Believe in a Thing Called Love, episode 17 of season six of Supergirl. And fittingly, the topic for our podcast episode is love and fear, which was also the theme of the Supergirl episode, Mm. which makes sense given the ways that the characters very much have deep fears around their relationships and their loved ones. (laughs) And that is a primary thing that they all grapple with throughout the series. Just a little. (laughs) Yes. One of the most interesting pieces of this episode was Jean choosing to attempt the gauntlet from the courage totem and then Mm. the scene he has with Kara where they're emotionally supporting each other. So we decided to take a deeper look again at Kara and Jean and their dynamic throughout the series and the ways that they work with each other. Yeah, there were some added nuances, I think, to their relationship dynamic within context of the rest of the season as well. And Kara and Jean are characters who have you know, lost everything at one point, their families, their culture, their people and their planets physically or and just having to leave it. And those traumatic events have created in them specific fear stories around how they might lose everything that they love again. Mm. And so, you know, when we write fear stories, we create monsters. Your favorite. <laughs> yeah, yes. And very Halloweeny. And very Halloweeny, quite spooky. But for Jean, we've actually talked about his fears of monstrosity within himself earlier on the season. But in this episode, Kara was also afraid to turn into a kind of monster, the phantom. Yeah, that was a nice little new thing for her. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to break down how those fears were formed and how it's shaped the dynamic between them. And the sort of heart of their kind of shared fear story around that like monstrosity having to do with the loss that they experienced is encompassed by, I think, what Jean said to Kara the first time one of them helped the other, which was all the way back in the Midvale flashback when Jean, with Alora's face, <laughs> said to Kara, you've already lost so much, but you could lose more if you're not careful. And there's this fear that like the new families, new lives they've found and the positive effect that they have had on the world, which is maybe more than either of them thought was possible for them, mm, yeah, could be lost if they do like the wrong thing or if they fail in some way. But the shape for each of them that their fear takes is different as seen through <laughs> in this episode, their kind of apologies to each other <laughs> that they give yeah. in classic fashion where Car is like, I'm so sorry. I truly thought that the shield would work. And John's like, I'm so, so sorry. I wasn't there to protect you. And here we see how Kara feels very responsible for fixing things, like getting the shield working and like fixing the situation with Nixley. And then John feels like he is supposed to protect his loved ones. Mm. Yeah. And the way that you put that down in the notes kind of made me consider that Kara's need to fix things actually makes a lot of sense in the context of what we know of her childhood, Mm -hmm. given that Krypton was very science based. And also we know Kara's dad was a scientist. And as a kid, she spent a lot of time in that lab creating and maybe fixing and problem solving. Mm. And then you compare that to Jean, where we know that Martian culture is very focused on emotions and relationships 
and that Jean became the Martian Manhunter out of the deep love he felt for his daughter and the desire to protect her when she was born. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense that this is their default setting for like <laughs> the things they feel like they've failed at. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting because they have a sort of proactive versus defensive thing happening where Carr is the more forward thinking and like doing the next right thing as opposed to Jean, who is trying to preserve what he has. And it makes sense in terms of also the ways that they lost their people. Krypton's death was through, you know, from Kara's perspective, inaction and mm. and the failure to act in the right way and to make the right choices. Whereas Jean's loss of his people was the violence of the Green Martian genocide. There's an interesting dichotomy here symbolically with fearing the cold for Kara and fearing the fire for Jean, mm. which, you know, obviously he has had this fear of fire related to the fact that his people burned. And that actually also reflects like the color palettes to some extent that we see mm. on each planet in the flashbacks because like Krypton tends to have this like bluish mm. thing. And also the Fortress of Solitude is made of ice. Mm -hmm. And then Mars is very that red. Yeah, precisely. So looking closer at Jean and his fearing of the fire, the thing responsible for the loss of everything that he loved was violence and fire and how, you know, his people and family were burned by the White Martians. And so when he survives, when he escapes, when he like flees, he then feels responsible for that monstrosity that happened. And he says in this episode, my courage test took me right back to the moment that I failed to protect everyone I love. He has that survivor's guilt in a very specific way of like, there was a moment where I should have stayed and instead I saved myself mm. or I didn't fight as hard as I should have in his mind. And so further, he then thinks that he, in fact, is the monster because of that decision and his failure there. And so we see him grapple with the feeling of being a monster or fearing something within himself that is monstrous or unacceptable through, say, in season one, his fear of being seen as an alien and not wanting to sort of come out in the way that Kara did. Mm. Through his difficulties with emotional vulnerability, his dilemma around if he should be nonviolent or not, where, you know, the thing that he most values is protecting his family, but also he's afraid of what not being a man of peace means about himself and like if mm. he's living up to the standards of, you know, his people. Yeah. And actually, in season four, there was a really nice scene where we see Jean struggling with that dilemma mm. where he has this vision of like a, a dead Kara and a dead Alex. And they come at him making accusations and saying that it's his fault that they're dead because he yeah. wouldn't stand up with them and he wouldn't protect them. And it connected really nicely back to that inner battle that he was having between wanting to honor his father and doing what he thought his father wanted him to do <laughs> and being true to himself and recognizing that he is the Martian Manhunter. Right. Yeah. And then there's also the time that he literally became a white Martian in season two, which was the time that Kara also helped him through. Like Jean is here in this episode helping Kara with regard to her fear of becoming a monster in the Phantom. Mm, yeah. And the other kind of fun thing, thinking back to season two with Jean becoming essentially a white Martian because of the blood transfusion he gets from Magan, is that mm. the way they were able to overcome that was by repurposing a Kryptonian technology through the hands of Kara's Earth family. Right. And having it all combine and come together, which actually ties really nicely to this idea of like 
for them to be their truest selves, they have to be all the pieces. Mm, Yeah. And that's been a difficult journey for Jean, who, with regard to this fearing of the fire, the part of him that like fights or acts, the pieces of himself that are like best able to protect the things that he cares about are also the parts that he's kind of afraid of and, and fears makes him a monster. Like his alienness, his physical power and willingness to physically battle. And then also like the mind abilities piece that we've seen him struggle with throughout the years and like the morality Mm. around that yeah and like how much of it is a violence but then on the other hand his inaction is also a source of shame obviously as we see him grapple with in this episode so there's sort of no escaping (laughs) no of, of the levels of guilt and like feeling if there's something within him that's wrong and You know, on Kara's end, what destroyed her planet was this failure to act, failure in Kara's mind to, like, connect, you know, convince people to do the right thing. And and the failure to make the right choice, Kara says in season one when she's reflecting upon her mother's failure. My mother was faced with this decision on Krypton to act or do nothing. And she chose wrong. And Kara is like, and everything was just wiped from the stars. How can I let that happen again? And so for Kara, it's up to her to make up for it is the way that she sees it. And so in this episode, Kara is afraid to become a phantom, which is interesting. And she describes being a phantom as cold, emotionless. And says that this nightmare is showing me what I could become without my humanity, which reminds me of the Allura hologram in season one and the way that Laura Benanti described her acting direction, where it was like being a greeting card and there's no <laughs> like yeah. actual human like warm connection there. Warmth. Yeah, exactly. It was cold. And of course, when you talk about the hologram, you have to talk about the scene that Kara had with it, which was mm, yeah. the outburst of like, you let everyone that I love die. You left me, you left me alone, you sent me away. How could you do that? And Kara grappling in season one with the coldness of the decisions that Allura made and mm, and yeah. that lack of humanity piece. And so Kara fears that the parts of her that are Kryptonian or even Supergirl, the parts that are like the duty and the power and even the values that she has, which are so, you know, powerful <laughs> within her. They could kill her family or, you know, worse, destroy the world somehow, like we saw with like Overgirl. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. As that very like cold but powerful and in her own way values consistent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Version of Kara. Well, that was the crossover during season three when Kara was really struggling with whether or not to own that human piece of herself. And this was a Kara. Who never had the Danvers family to be like, Mm. no, you need to embrace being a kid and Mm -hmm. you need to learn about people. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, being forced to take that time is what made Kara care. (laughs) The sort of compassion piece. (laughs) Yeah. And in season three, Alex says to Kara, you know, at that turning point before the rain fight where she's afraid for Kara's life, be cold, be Kryptonian. Which was the thing that Kara had been trying to do. Unsuccessfully. (laughs) Unsuccessfully. (laughs) Something inadvisable. And summarized by her statement at the beginning of the season, I am not a human. In that season, Kara was punishing herself because she felt like there was something awful in her 
for being able to make that cold choice. Mm, yeah. Think like, did I kill anyone right after she woke up post red kryptonite? And here she feels like, oh, I sent Monal away like Alora sent me away. You know, that cold yeah. decision of like, how could you do something like that? But also like her belief that it was the right choice, that it was right to act was so deeply ingrained. And she really mm. believes that, that she leaned further into the idea that she like doesn't get to have human things. She became more cold as sort of like a, a kind of a protest against how she was feeling, a counterproductive protest. Mm. Because, you know, Kara also fears that her humanity will put the world in danger. And choosing that part of herself without, like, regard to the world would also be, in her mind, cold and selfish. So somehow, Kara giving into any of who she is fully will hurt people. So she must constantly adapt to be able to act in the exact way that the world needs her to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, isn't stressful at all. No. <laughs> or exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And we're not seeing that in the season at all. And so, you know, with this context of a kind of monstrosity and like these fears of their own identity we see with Sean and Kara is interesting, but also the ways that they support each other. Mm. They have that shared history, which, you know, Jean was immediately introduced to the concept of Akara <laughs> with Jeremiah's. This one here, Kara, she's adopted. She's not from here either, as that sort of, she's like you. <laughs> but they also, apart from that shared sort of backstory-ish, they have their unique perspectives around it. And so they have created a really nice bond and relationship dynamic where they help each other navigate loss and legacy and finding family with those unique perspectives in mind. Mm, yeah, they really make a nice balanced team because they are different in ways where like one of them is strong where the other maybe is less strong mm. in terms of thinking, you know. Car is very outgoing and quick to make connections to people. And Jean would rather hold back and kind of like wait and see. <laughs> mm -hmm. But also that balance was a hard one. They uh, took a while to get there, as Car actually said in, <laughs> was it Red Face, right? We'll find our thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. It took a while and a period where I think Car also said something like, we almost like let a nuclear bomb go off because <laughs> we, we didn't communicate. Um <laughs> So, yeah. you know, they had to grow and truly become a family. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but they do actually have a lot in common, not just the fact that they are refugees from essentially dead planets, mm -hmm. but they both come from planets with collectivistic cultures, or at least cultures that are more collectivistic than American culture. Mm -hmm. That said... There are some big differences in their outlooks that affect them and how they view the world that are really interesting. So like Mars, as far as we know from what we've seen of it, really emphasized emotional kinship ties and the sharing of memories and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so within that, we see that Jean is usually very past oriented in the way that he approaches things. He values tradition. You know, he looks to what has been done in making new decisions. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at Kara and kind of the things that she brought with her from Krypton, it was much more of a future-oriented society, which mm -hmm. then, you know, makes a whole lot of sense with the metaphor of like Kal-El and Kara being sent off, right. you know, to preserve <laughs> <Yeah>. the future. <laughs> you will become extraordinary. That's very... Yeah. Um, 
But in terms of understanding it as a culture, you know, we know that Krypton had a very strong emphasis on using science and technology to control the environment to an extent. (laughs) (laughs) To harness the core of the planet. There may have been some hubris there. Yes. (laughs) Some slight, yes. There was a very strong interest in invention and exploration. Like we know Kara herself traveled a lot, even as a kid, and that... Kryptonians traveled to many other planets and sent information about their own culture to other planets. Mm. And there was also just this kind of optimistic idea that society could be improved and that they were capable of doing it. That mm. is so present in Kara of the, <laughs> the I can fix this. Like, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, so that's really fitting with their relationship dynamic because we have Kara who very much pushes Jean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That sort of fire in her, you know, where Jean will frequently remind Kara of the value of what she has and demonstrate his sort of cool head. (laughs) But another important piece is where they do it in a way that is identity affirming, where like who you are has value and is worth preserving, as opposed to, say, pushing Kara to reject the part of her that cares about action and going forward or... Oh, you mean like when Jeremiah was like, <laughs> you just need to be Kara Danvers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or as opposed to maybe if Kara pushed Jean in a way that rejected the parts of him that like you know, (laughs) staying like settled and and protecting his family. And it's an encouraging thing as opposed to (laughs) a critical thing. However, there there was a little bit of a friction in, say, season one with Kara and John Mm -hmm. and and sort of pushing him to be more open as an alien. Kara was like, I've tried it and it's great. You should too. (laughs) Well, it was was encouraging and I think a nice way, maybe until Red Kryptonite came into the picture when it was like, I'm doing oh, this. Yeah. You should be doing this. And Kara also pushed Jean, you know, to not kill the White Martian impersonating Senator Crane in season one, saying, you know, that kind of loss makes a hole in your heart, but you can't fall into it. You have to fill it. You have to fight, which is very much Kara's like action oriented sentiment. But then also the do not throw away who you are. If you do, that thing wins. And the last son of Mars dies, even if you're still standing. And she frames that as something worth protecting in a way that I'm not sure Jean always thinks about. <laughs> as yeah. like, I am the last person. Like, <laughs> And then, you know, there's a back and forth where now Jean is encouraging Kara, like, Krypton's legacy is not death and destruction. It's you. That's sort of like, you are valuable as you are, you know? Mm. And then in season three, they had a really nice dynamic demonstrated in a couple episodes where let's take Girl of Steel, which was the first episode of season three. Kara sort of brings up this topic in a way that demonstrates their shared experience. She says, do you still dream about them, your family? John's like, sometimes. And then Kara talks about how she tried to be Kara Danvers for years, but she's not supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be human. And then Jean says, but you have a human heart now. It aches, it scars, but it keeps on beating. If you try and cut it out, you will lose something essential. And that sort of perspective of preserve what you have. Mm, Yeah. And then also you are valuable as you are the whole you. (laughs) And then, you know, Kara does something similar for Jean in Far From the Tree. Episode four of season three, Jean asks, you ever wonder, Kara, what your parents would say to you if they could see you now after all this time, what they'd think of the person you've become? And it's again that moment of like, hey, we're kind of in the same boat. (laughs) 
And then Jean talks about how, like, my father thinks I'm a coward. And Kara says, then he doesn't know you because the man I know has dedicated his entire life to making sure what happened on Mars never happens anywhere else. And it is very much, again, through that perspective for Kara of, like, you act in this way, but also, like, who you are, again, is valuable. And so despite their different perspectives of that, like, action versus protecting your family and your yourself, the core message for them is the same of, like, be true to who you are. It will be okay. And, you know, we've got you, <laughs> which is expressed even in this episode when Carr is like, I know that I can't enter the gauntlet with you, but know that I will be beside you the whole time. Mm. In this episode, John fought, you know, as hard as he could in his vision to save his daughters and still lost them. Mm. Well, and not only that, he also died <laughs> mm -hmm. while trying to fight to save them because he was just obviously outnumbered. And if that had actually happened in reality, then his other fear that he had in season four would have also come true. He would have <laughs> failed Kara and Alex. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And potentially never been able to save the rest of his family that turned out to be alive, his father and his brother. Right. True. But, you know, in this episode, he's kind of working through that where yeah. he's dealing with the fact that he just like lost in this gauntlet, even though he won, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the emotional price part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he also fought to protect Kara, as in, like, he didn't let her do the gauntlet because he probably saw that, like, she was not happy about the prospect to protect her from that sort of emotional price that he ended up paying. But then she still emotionally suffered because of that fear vision that she had. He says, like, you know, I fought like hell, fought to the death. But I still lost them, his daughters. And then when I saw you get hit with that dream totem, I had that same feeling all over again. Mm -hmm. And then Kara, on her end, she gave up this huge part of her life and her identity, Kara Danvers, to like fix <laughs> this Nixley problem. And yet it has gotten worse in this episode. Now Lex is here. <laughs> mm -hmm. But for each of them, you know, the progress here is that together they have recognized the monsters in their heads for like what they are, which are fears. Jean says, maybe my test in your vision is trying to teach us that we're stronger than our fears. And that allows them to stop feeling like who they are is the problem and move forward in the way that they think is best. Yeah. And then within this resurfacing of the courage totem and then facing down the gauntlet, which Jean goes through in this episode, there is a nifty undercurrent related to articulating emotions mm. that applies to Jean and Kara in this episode. Mm -hmm. And even though this was such a short piece of the episode, it was definitely one of the strongest beats mm -hmm. of it because it was so focused on the internal worlds of the characters. Yeah. But the part that was very striking is like Jean goes into the courage test already 100% clear on which moment in his life he will have to face. Yeah. And, you know, this speaks a little bit to his greater maturity as an adult compared to Kara. You know, he's centuries older mm -hmm. in that he's had maybe more time to self-reflect on the parts of his life that he feels like he's done wrong. Yeah. Well, also circumstantially, like... He was alone for such a long time. Yeah. Sitting alone in the jungle in the Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the moment where he loses his family on Mars is also one where he feels such strong negative emotions toward himself. Mm -hmm. And he's also confronted this memory before. 
in a few different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you already mentioned the episode Far From the Tree where Jean goes back to Mars with Kara and they find Marin. And thinking back in that episode as well, the first time that Jean tries to approach his father, Marin refuses to believe that it's him because he's like, my son would never have fled mm. and there's no way he could be alive. <sighs> yeah. And John's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly fair. what I was afraid yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also the time when Manchester in season four forced John to see that moment again with the staff of Ronmere, mm. which, you know, ends up being the thing that is John's breaking point between those two characters and he ends up killing Manchester. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, Jean struggling because of the moment when his family was captured and his wife and his daughters were killed and all the kind of baggage he carries with that. There's also this like adjacent baggage that he carries related to accepting himself on Earth as the Martian Manhunter. Mm -hmm. And it's because he felt like he had failed in that protector role that he had on Mars. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't able to fully re-embrace that part of himself until he dealt with some of his other emotional wounds that came from losing his family. So, you know, allowing himself to build those relationships with Alex and then with Kara and having the space to talk about his daughters and, and that he lost them and that he misses them. Yeah. And then also reuniting with his father and then his brother and being reassured, you know, that he wasn't the last one and that there's like still some hope out there. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, when Jean makes the choice to activate the courage totem, he is already very prepared to face mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And he knows what choice he needs to make in order to succeed with the challenge. And then there's Kara, <laughs> who by contrast has no idea. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we were talking about this as we were prepping the episode and Kara is just so used to assuring everyone that she's not afraid mm-hmm. at moments when she maybe should be. <laughs> and, you know, if you try to think throughout the series to episodes where she genuinely is afraid of something, there are very few But because that is such her kind of default setting, her gauntlet takes her completely by surprise in terms of the moment it places her in. Mm -hmm. And then she gets stuck because she can't figure out how to understand what it's asking of her. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that they had Jean do the gauntlet in this episode because I feel like I have a better understanding now of what exactly the challenge is is asking because mm. it's not just that it's a moment that requires bravery from the person who's trying it mm. it's also it seems to be from having now seen Nixley's and Jean's and Cara's a moment where the person regrets the choice that they did make mm. on some level yeah which I'm sure some people are like wait but that doesn't make sense because Cara's always wanted to be Supergirl and <laughs> like yeah she she has uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's part of why, like, she doesn't recognize, like, (laughs) what is happening. And so when she comes to that moment, because becoming Supergirl was something that she's so integrated into her sense of who she is and that she'd wanted for so long, she immediately assumes that that the gauntlet is asking her to, like, do more Supergirl things (laughs) and that that was what her failure was. Mm -hmm. Well, and also Supergirl is such a symbol of courage even to Kara. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, that was why she did the scary thing that she did in that moment, Mm -hmm. which was possibly risk revealing herself 
But because the scene in the gauntlet feels almost too familiar in a way that Kara associates with positive things, she doesn't press deeper to explore what her actual feelings were in the moment that it brought her to, Mm. which we start to see even in that tiny snippet of, you know, what happened after she flew off the wing of the plane, that she did have mixed feelings and possibly a regret Mm. there because she didn't end up doing what she had wanted to do, Mm -hmm. at least not fully. Yeah. And so Kara, in this episode, recognizing with Jean's help that she is experiencing fear (laughs) and that it is holding her back in a specific way is an important development in terms of her season's arc and maybe Mm -hmm. coming to a conclusion about this gauntlet. Yeah. And it was also a really nice and fitting bookend to that scene that she had with Jean in the season three premiere where she finally voiced that she was dreaming about her mother and about Monel and that she missed them. Mm. And then speaking of facing fears and <laughs> articulating emotions, <laughs> well. even though she was not directly involved with the courage totem in this episode, Alex Danvers still did a very brave thing. Yeah, she did. <laughs> and we love to see it. This is very true. So Alex, as we know... <laughs> <laughs> has a little bit of a struggle with uh, expressing her own wants and needs Mm -hmm. because she frequently thinks that if she does this, it will result in losing or endangering the people that she cares about. Mm. So asking Kelly to marry her at this moment in time when things are leveled up in terms of danger was like a pretty big deal for her. Yeah. Um, Not only is Nixley like running rampant around the city, but like Kara's also having a time. Mm-hmm. And Alex is actually like managing this all pretty okay. Yeah. Which is big growth. <laughs> big, big growth. Yeah. <laughs> but she also, you know, experiences a bit of a difficulty. When an external thing goes wrong, which is a very much like That's, Alex's yeah. fear, like <laughs> the universe will crash down upon me <laughs> if I do things that I like. Al's bar is booked and Alex's very classic fears <laughs> return. And she brings up her previous engagement with Maggie and says, I just jumped right in there with no planning and it just felt right. But that relationship just ended. <laughs> with the implication being... That because she kind of jumped in, she didn't learn the thing that ended up making the relationship end (laughs) when maybe she would have otherwise. Right. (laughs) But then, you know, the sort of takeaway for Alex emotionally is that like spontaneous expression of her feelings or, or just kind of going after what she wants because she wants it results in even more painful loss of what she cares about. And, you know, that sudden loss with Maggie probably also brought up hurt around, like, her dad leaving Mm, multiple times and, you know, not having her emotional needs met there. Yes, but Alex gets a scene with William, like a one-on-one scene for the first time, which was kind of fun. Yeah. And she decides to take his advice. And she takes her emotional risk and then she gets a reward, which is that Kelly was planning the exact same thing uh, because they are that lesbian couple. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's likely that this experience is healing for the part of Alex that felt 
crushed by the failure of her previous engagement. Yeah. We're seeing Kelly kind of become this secure place. I'm going to say secure because of like attachment style stuff that we sometimes talk about with Alex and whether or not she feels like trust and safety in her relationships and like feels like they won't fall apart. Mm, Yeah. Kelly feels like a secure place instead of that like place of anxiety (laughs) that she sometimes feels. And Kelly encompasses, you know, the sort of understanding that Alex is beginning to genuinely internalize of like the world may throw us a lot of curveballs, but the one thing that I am certain about is us seeing it as a kind of constant And then, amazingly, (laughs) when another curveball is thrown at them, instead of getting the message that like, oh, this really... (laughs) This is doomed. (laughs) Yeah, this really is doomed. (laughs) When the proposal is crashed by literally two villains, (laughs) Alex actually bounces right back and gives a very like hopeful speech about love. It was amazing. (laughs) It truly was. And she also didn't go like, I must personally stop Lex Luthor now which has <laughs> yeah, been a reaction she's had yep. in the past so <laughs> that's true yeah in the past she might have been like now I have to take down Lex personally and I've let you down guys for not doing it before <laughs> but this time Alex says you know earlier today I was so anxious because I convinced myself that if you and I didn't have the perfect proposal that our future would be doomed and thinking about that that sounds absolutely ridiculous <laughs> Good job, Alex. (laughs) Yes. Number one, you're right. And number two, we actually went and checked. This is the first time that she has correctly identified that she felt anxious Mm -hmm. out loud to anyone in the entire series. (laughs) I know. So, like, I'm a little bit proud of her for that. (laughs) Me too. Well, the other thing about it that's like, yay, this is so exciting, like, for her as a character that she did this Mm -hmm. is like we've always seen Alex treat her like panic mode as a default setting and it's just Mm. like that's the way things are rather than something that she can control or at least work through and Mm -hmm. set aside Mm -hmm. so this was a nice change (laughs) yeah it was also interesting the part that's like that sounds absolutely ridiculous talking about herself (laughs) yeah Because it's almost like maybe she's seeing herself a little bit more through Kelly's eyes in a productive way where like Mm. (laughs) when Kelly was like, do you hear yourself right now about (laughs) the baby flinging itself into an electrical outlet, which, oh, my God, is laughing now, Kelly, (laughs) as may may, like phase through a wall. (gasps) Anyway, (laughs) Alex was not being irrational. (laughs) Well, <laughs> she wasn't. He was being a little irrational. Just because it turned out to be weirdly right doesn't mean that it wasn't made sense at the time. Okay, but we've talked about this before. <laughs> Alex's sense of what is normal is very different than the average person's <laughs> because her sister is Kara. So yeah, but she was getting like a human baby at that point. I think. But yeah, I mean, okay, that's true. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but the part of her that had suppressed the fact that her sister was an alien just had all those examples cataloged. Yes. <laughs> 
But, you know, Alex is starting to maybe be in a place where she can take a step back from being absorbed in all her fears and, and so wrapped up in them that she can't see outside of them. And she can now look at things from different perspectives, which will be helpful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, those fears and anxieties are never going to, like, disappear. They are very much a part of Alex. <laughs> Yeah. But she's learning how to pull back from the despair that she can get trapped into around those fears and anxieties more quickly. And it reminds me of something that actually Kara said to Nia in season four, mm. yeah. which was, even now, I think I'm not afraid of anything. And then something new and ugly rears its head and chases me right back down the rabbit hole, which we see happen a little bit to Alex in this episode. But once we catch ourselves, we have to jump right back out there, acknowledge the fear, then kick its ass. <laughs> That's such a Kara thing to say. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so we're seeing Alex learn to, to kick anxiety's ass. <laughs> and then to kind of round out our set of characters who are dealing with various kind of internal fears that came up in this episode. We had Lena, who had to confront the return of Lex in a very unpleasant way. Hmm. And Lena, as we know, is a person who is very driven by her feelings. We have talked about this before. Mm -hmm. But she's also someone who will sometimes mistake her anger and her hurt for cool and rational logic <laughs> when it is not at all. And uh, <laughs> she's pushed to directly face her fear of her own emotions being intense mm. in this episode. Yeah. Lena talks about how when Lex unexpectedly showed up, all that rage that she felt throughout her life returned and how it was exacerbated by the fact that, you know, magic is so tied to her emotions. And if she feels out of control or angry, then the magic reflects that and how that can have not so great consequences like we saw with Lena's mother. And we see in this episode and have seen historically that Lena's fear about like the destruction of what she loves is centered around what she's capable of and sort of what she is destined mm. to become, especially around emotions. Yeah. She said in season two, like, loss does strange things to my family and I've lost a lot of people. And I think when I feel things again, I'm going to be very, very afraid of the person I might be. There's also your favorite line from Lena. <laughs> yes. Car's like, no, you're not a killer. And Lena's like, like, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She says, but I do have the emotional range of Medea. And I find it interesting and fitting that Lena contextualizes her feelings through the Greek story of Medea. Mm. Because of how like fixed fates show up in Greek mythology, you know, there are these like retellings through centuries where no matter what happens, the tragic hero will always make the same mistakes because of their like fatal flaws, which for Lena, her fatal flaw is that volatile, emotional part of herself. And, you know, despite the prophecy in one story or another, or despite like the dramatic irony that like only the audience notices all the signs that the horrible things are going to happen. The characters will always act exactly as they are meant to. Mm -hmm. They cannot escape prophecy in that way. And so Lena fears that she is meant to fall in line with her family's legacy of hate and, and venom and her family who frequently uses Greek stories and they're like their pretentious branding. <laughs> <laughs> but then Kara and the super friends 
show Lena a kind of way out of that narrative, a path that she can take or not take. And in terms of storytelling, it's interesting with superheroes as like modern versions of like a Greek gods type canon with, I think, answers and solutions to things in response to those stories that came before, like uh, contrasting with fatal flaws and fixed fates. We have Kara and like, there's always another way. <laughs> there is a way for things to turn out happily. The anti-Greek tragedy <laughs> that mm. is Kara's perspective. And then just like giving people second, third, fourth chances as opposed to condemning them to like an eternal punishment like Sisyphus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. For big mistakes. And then just the concept of like powerful beings who are like nice <laughs> and like help humanity while helping each other and being connected in positive ways. And then just in terms of Kara and the Super Friends, they are a family there for Lena to provide a positive model and offer Lena different choices. And it was kind of nice in this episode, how explicitly Kara named what has been happening there of the like, for so long, Lex was the only family you had. He wanted you to become a monster. Speaking of monsters. Mm, yeah. And there was no one around to pull you back when you went too far. And, you know, we have seen that like Kara can't make Lena make good choices and take the other path that she can offer. And so we see that Lena hasn't always taken them up on that offer. But she is in this season in line with the other characters in terms of finally arriving to internalizing some of the messages that the narrative has been trying to impart upon them. So that wraps up our thoughts on love and fear and how they intertwined in this episode for several of the major characters. Mm -hmm. As always, we have kind of stray observations of just other little things that we enjoyed in this episode, and many of them were related to these characters also. <laughs> yes. And on the topic of love, we have found family was very much at the center of this episode's messaging mm -hmm. about what love is and can be. Yeah. Even with the romantic love between Alex and Kelly, given the weight that found family has in queer narratives, it was nice. Yeah, it was really cool to see. I mean, it, it's also not unexpected given <laughs> that the thesis of this show it was established in season one that family is what you make of it. <laughs> Love bonds us all. Yeah, exactly. And then kind of the rest of the stuff that we had on our list was just really little, silly, delightful things. <laughs> One of the little things, this was a props department thing, so kudos to them, was uh, the location where they lured Nixley. If you look at the tree, it has initials carved into it. They're Alex and Kelly's initials, which was <laughs> cute. Oh. Also, I just want to point out that Alex and Kelly both realizing that they were in love with each other because they agreed about a character in a movie is like <laughs> peak women loving women culture. So mm. thank you for that. Thank you. Accurate representation. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't talk to anyone who doesn't like Supergirl. Now <laughs> She's not lying. <laughs> Stop it. Also kind of related to Alex and her storyline in this episode, I really appreciated 
the scene where she goes to take the engagement ring out of her pocket and finds the love totem there instead. It was a hilarious visual nod to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Hmm. And I say thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Um, (laughs) You personally made it happen because you have magic. I do. And, you know, speaking of cool visuals, I really enjoyed the scene with Nixley in the magical ring that she was trapped into at Lover's Lane when all the super friends were sending their various attacks at her and she was dodging them. A, because it was just visually pretty and Mm, kind of cool choreography and stuff. And then B, because it reminded me of like dodgeball where Uh, there's just one person on the other side who is still in the game and there's just this row of people (laughs) throwing dodgeballs. She's just dodging them. She's just really good at it. In the fifth dimension, that's what their main sport is probably. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. I also appreciated in that scene the choice to have everyone drive to the location (laughs) just because it made for a interesting way to light the scene. Yeah, because they were able to use the headlights from the cars as like an excuse to have light in that scene because they were outdoors and it was very dark. So (laughs) good problem solving. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) And then last but not least, speaking of Nixley, girl, trust your instincts. Lex is a creep. (laughs) You were right the first time. Mm -hmm. Don't let him get to you. Yeah. Your reactions to him were delightful initially. Keep that energy going. Yes. And on that note, next week is going to be our episode for 618, Truth or Consequences. Mm-hmm. We are down to just two weeks of episodes left. We're getting close to the end. Yeah. As far as we know, next week is going to involve some form of bachelorette party for Kelly and Alex. And I am intrigued as to whether or not they are going to celebrate that together or separately. So I guess we'll find out. Um, (laughs) We'll also find out what happens. Like William went to go approach Lex to try to find out what he's up to. Speaking of truth and or consequences. Mm. And so if you have any comments or questions for us... Please send them our way on Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram. And also, Tumblr has changed the audio player recently. So if it hasn't seemed to be working and you feel like you missed an episode, please go back and check again. Yes. Or add Supergirl's Attic to your favorite podcasting app of choice so that you don't end up missing it. Yes. And thanks for listening. Thank you.